All right. Um, we're talking about issue three. And issue three is our position in Christ. And we've got, um, this is, of, of all the lessons, I've looked, at, I've looked ahead to all the lessons. And uh, this is going to be one of my, this is one of my favorite lessons. Um, I love talking with other Christians about our position that we have in Christ. Because when you consider the, the position that you have in Christ, it is so encouraging. And it's something that when you, you get caught down in the, the drudgery and, and just stuff of life, it's easy to forget who we are in Christ. And so um, this, is just, this is just such an excellent topic to be reminded of whether you've been a Christian for a day or whether you've been Christ, a Christian for a hundred years. Um, this is an excellent topic. In fact, it was, I was studying for this in Panera over the weekend, and I was sitting in Panera, and it was, it was literally bringing tears to my eyes, and it was, it, I was feeling awkward. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't crying, but I was just like, uh, I was just sitting at my table, just trying to like put my head down, <laughs> because it's just <clears throat> such wonderful things to talk about. And um, if you have had a chance to go through the lesson, then you already know that. Um, so this is this is hopefully going to be going to be good. Let's start with our sound bites, and then jump into um, our case study just to get our thinking going. <clears throat> Excuse me, just to get our thinking going uh, about about this issue. And we'll look at three of the sound bites. Dale, you are very kind. Clean. No need to look in. <laughs> Trust me. Should I have somebody else take a sip first? <laughs> Thank you very much. The first, what's that? I was going to say he can still get his name out of the book just because no. he has water or it'll get dead. No, he doesn't, but you're close okay. for Sorry. suggesting Sorry. it. <laughs> um, first of all, I didn't feel anything when I prayed to trust in Christ Jesus. Did I do something wrong? Did it work? Am I really a Christian? What would you say to that? There's lots of probably lots of different responses that we could could get to this statement. So, start throwing them at me. Well, first, of all, you, first of all, if you relied on feelings for everything, then you'd be in trouble. Okay. Good. Good. We don't just rely on our feelings. All right. That's one thing. We live by faith in His Word. Okay. We live by faith in His Word. Okay. What else? Lots of different responses that could be given to this, probably. The person seems to be focusing on what they did and not what Okay, okay, legitimate point. Sometimes a person can be focusing more on what they did than what Christ did for them. Okay, good, good. What else? I know like a lot of people when they get saved, like when I first got saved, I was like, why why am I not like everybody else now in the church? I didn't didn't realize that we weren't just right away going to be like everybody else. Right, okay. Okay, so you were expecting maybe some sort of jolt. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyone else? Dale, I saw you breathe. <laughs> you look like you were thinking about saying something. Um, do some people feel different after they become a Christian? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, some people feel very different. Um, you know, um, there's a, a, a book that was written a few hundred years ago 
called Pilgrim's Progress. And that book is a, an extended metaphor of a, of a person who is walking around. In the story, he is, he's actually walking around with a real burden on his back. And um, there comes to a point in the story where the burden, it's in the story, he comes to Christ, basically, it's not exactly like that in the story, but it's, it's a, basically at his conversion, the, the, the burden rolls off his back, he can stand up straight, he feels the, the burden of sin is lifted off of him. And some people, um, some people feel that very intensely, probably, at the moment of conversion. Other people may not, may not feel that. Um, if you don't have a distinct, um, if you don't have a distinct uh, comprehension of your sin, you're not going to feel that as much. We have people that are saved at young ages; they haven't had a chance to become hardened criminals yet, <laughs> and uh, you know the, the change in them is not as dramatic. Uh, so yeah, I th- I think we would probably all agree. That, that somebody, uh, some people feel very differently after coming to Christ. Some people don't feel so different. But the bottom line, <coughs> and Carissa's point, I think was very good, is that whether you have felt this thing or not, your trust is not in what you have done, but what Christ has done. And that's, that's faith. That's the element of faith. You know, it's like, you know, it's, you know, not knowing the Lord and just using uh, hypothetically as a, a drug addict or somebody that has a burden and that's what, you know, they want it gone mm-hmm. and they pray the prayer and they're expecting you to get up and guess what, they still need they still want to get high, that's right, they still need it and they're, you know, they were expecting <clears throat> spontaneous right, you know, right and, and it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way right. <laughs> conversion uh, isn't a silver bullet uh, to fix all of the sin habits that you have. Um, you know, there are there are people to use an extreme example who have gotten who have come to Christ and the very next day have have gone out looking for something and have fallen already. Does that mean, mean that they're not saved? Not necessarily. No. So, okay, we talked about that one. Second one, or third. Let's do the third one. <clears throat> Since I became a Christian, life seems so hard. Now I really wrestle with things that never seemed to bother me before. Okay? Would anyone want to say amen to that? <laughs> okay. So, so I think we're all agreed on that point. <laughs> all right. So uh, give, me, give me some thoughts as you're talking to a person about that. What would you say in response to that? What comes to mind? First of all, it wasn't brought. It wasn't a problem because it wasn't wrong in your eyes before that. Okay. So you were going along all good. Okay. Until it's revealed, then it becomes awful. Right. There in the face. Okay. Very good point. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is 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 dwell indwelling you, and uh, you're as you're getting into the Word, you're. You're getting more knowledge of what is sin, and then the Spirit is working in conjunction with the Word to convict you and to make you aware of it. Okay. Satan's going to attack. Okay. You're doing All right. And that conviction doesn't always happen to this. There's not a times table. It's when it's revealed to you. You know, some people automatically, 
you know, wow, I realize that this is sin. Mm -hmm. And so they start working on the issue, whatever it may be. Right. And somebody else might be doing the same thing, and but it hasn't been revealed to them. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. I, I believe there's different timetables mm -hmm. for different individuals for sure. whatever reason. Sure. Sure. So, so for the person who, who, who came to Christ and thought, I, I thought this was going to fix all this, <laughs> um, you know, is really, the battle really begins. <laughs> um, because now you have, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but now you have a collision of worlds. Um, you know, the, the sin nature that you have is now struggling against your new nature. And you are, you are going to be in a battle. And so in some ways, the fact that that struggle is there is a sign that you really are a believer. Because you're recognizing that. You know, we don't like it. We hate that it's there. But when I'm, struggling against, when I'm struggling against my sin nature, I am sometimes comforted by the fact, even if I'm falling, even if I'm sinning, I'm comforted by the fact that, you know, the Spirit is at work in me and convicting me of this. And, and the direction that I'm wanting to go is opposite of the trajectory that the Spirit has set for my life. So, good, good. Another thing, too, I'm yeah. sorry. No, know. please. But, like, another thing, too, is, like, uh, the way a lot of people deal with anxiety, too, is a lot of, when they become a Christian, a lot of those behaviors they used to indulge in before to mm -hmm. deal with anxiety is gone. Okay. So it adds more, you know, it makes it a lot harder and a lot more frustrating and good. for a lot of people. That is, a, that is a, a very good thing. We all have our a very good statement. Uh, we all have, in big or small ways, our go-to go things that make us feel better and help us deal with life. <laughs> and um, when you realize you've made an idol out of something like that um, and you have that taken away from you, you have to retrain yourself. I have to go to Christ with this. I have to go to, my hope is in Christ, not in fill-in-the-blank. And it could be anything. And it's not, we're not even talking about, about substances. We're talking about people and, and things that you have to have that make you feel better, that whatever, the, whatever this would be. So good observation. Okay. Let's go to the, uh, the next one. <clears throat> now that I'm a Christian, everything is better. Almost all my problems seem to have vanished. If I said that, what would you say to me? Right on. <laughs> Something wrong. Dean says right on. <laughs> Wait a little while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait a little while. Okay. What else? What would you say to me if I said that to you? I had a, a guy in college that um, I knew who was a little older than the rest of us. He got saved a little later in life. And it seemed to me like he, I mean, you know, he's trying to pay college and he's changed everything. And he kind of had one of these super sunny attitudes. And he, Franklin is like the brightest guy I ever met. I don't know if he finished college, but some people do that. Mm -hmm. Some people, I mean, they just remember what it was like, and yeah. you know they're able to do that. But that's just a rare. Okay. It's usually, usually it's a pretty scary thing when somebody says that. Right. Yeah. It, it can sometimes be, and that's a you know that's kind of an opposite message of the gospel that is preached over the airwaves and on TV. Um, it's almost as if that is the gospel, come to Christ and all your problems will vanish and they'll, they'll go away. And it usually is accompanied by some sort of appeal for money to, to speed the process along, processing fee. 
Um, and, and, and people are doing that. <clears throat> but obviously, um, obviously the gospel doesn't, the gospel message itself does not promise that every problem in your life will go away. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Okay, so would anybody be willing to read the case study of Antonio? Okay, go ahead, Kim. When I was a brand new Christian, everything was so exciting. I finally had the joy and the peace that I had always been searching for, and I hungered every day for God's word. But soon everything changed. Much of the joy and peace I once knew had been replaced with frustration and doubt. I really want to please God by living a life that is pure and righteous, but my experience falls so short of my expectations. Sinful habits keep haunting me. I still lust, I still lie, I still bark at my children occasionally. I've done everything I know to do to combat these sins, but they continue to defeat me. Each time I fail the Lord, I sink further, <coughs> excuse me, I sink further into despair. I really want to live a holy life, but I don't know how to achieve it. I want God to be happy with me, but I'm sure he must be disgusted when I come into his presence. I just feel so worthless and guilty. Will God ever be able to do anything useful through me? Am I really even saved? Okay. That, that case study um, is, is not uh, bizarre. Um, there are people probably here in this room that have felt that way or that feel that way even now. What would you say to a person like that? Well, I think coming to Christ, um, that's the first thing Satan does to you is stack you and tell you that you're failing and that you're not worthy and I think that's the first point of method of using uh, against us, mm-hmm. you know, to okay. say that we're not worthy. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. What else? And you're a bigger target when you come to Christ. Yeah. Okay. You already had you the other way, but now... Yeah. There's something called sanctification. Mm-hmm. It's a lifelong process. Until we go home, it's the battle's not going to be over. Right, right. That's probably something we need to tell new believers, isn't it? We need to tell them, you know, you're, these things are going to happen. You need to be, you need to be aware that they're going to happen, and and God's going to be with you, and we're going to work through this, you know, to to set the expectations. Um, I want to read to you a, a quote from a theologian by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is considered, even by secular scholars, as probably the greatest theologian that America has produced. And Jonathan Edwards, okay, we talked about Antonio in this case study. Greatest theologian that America has ever produced. I have have read a couple of his books. They are not easy to read. Um, Partially because of the language, you know, he was writing quite a while ago, and, and so the language is difficult to understand, but partially because it's just up there stuff, and I'm, I'm a normal guy, and I have trouble reading some of that stuff. But here is, here is one, uh, one, writing, one thing that he wrote, an assessment of himself. Uh, he says, Often I have had very affecting views of my own sinfulness and vileness, very frequently to such a degree as to hold me in a kind of loud weeping, sometimes for a considerable time together, 
so that I, I have often been forced to shut myself up. I have had a vastly greater sense of my own wickedness and the badness of my heart than ever I had before my conversion. It has often appeared to me that if God should mark iniquity against me, I should appear the very worst of all mankind. Of all that have been since the beginning of the world to this time, and that I should have by far the lowest place in hell. When others that have come to talk with me about their soul concerns, he's a pastor, when others who come to talk with me have expressed the sense they have had of their own wickedness by saying that it seemed to them that they were as bad as the devil himself, I thought their expressions seemed exceeding faint and feeble to represent my wickedness. I only read you the first paragraph. He goes on and on and on. Jonathan Edwards is a kind of person who, the more he got to know God, and the closer he got to God, the more the light of God's word shined in his own heart, and he saw his own sinfulness. And there is a sense in which, the more we continue to grow in the Lord, the more acutely aware we are of our own sinfulness. And so when we become acutely aware of our own sinfulness, we have to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel. And what we are doing when we remind ourselves of the gospel is we are reminding ourselves of our position in Christ. And so we've got different kinds of people in this room from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different things in your past, skeletons in your closet, whatever the things may be, we probably run the gamut in here. And there are those of you who may struggle, maybe you don't write it like Jonathan Edwards, but you thought you think the same things. I, I just don't think God is going to be able to accept me. I did it again. I mean, how many times can I come back? How many times can I come back? It, when, when is the leash going to jerk? When is the grace going to run out? And so when the, these kinds of things happen in your mind, and they be happening in your mind now because they happen to me, when those things happen, we need to be reminded of our position in Christ. In the article <clears throat> that Max Lucado an excerpt from a book, I believe. <clears throat> um, he talks about the exam- He talks about his problem before knowing the law, knowing God's word. He he has a, he and he gives the example of a shortcut they used to take, and he, it, he, it's finally brought to his attention that this shortcut to traffic. He's actually traveling the wrong way down a one-way street, and he says the problem is not. The problem isn't just that he was going the wrong way. It's that once he found out that he was, in, a, in essence, breaking the law, he decided he still wanted to keep doing it. Have you ever had anything like that happen to you? I didn't know. It's, a, it's an oops for a while, and then it's brought to your attention that it's wrong, and you're like, but I, I don't want to stop. <laughs> I wish I didn't know it was wrong. <laughs> so he brings that up, and then he also, <clears throat> he also talks about, um, draws a comparison between this, bird 
uh, who, who sits outside of his office and constantly flies into the glass window. Constantly sees his reflection, runs into it, and he never learns. And he also compares it to a guy that's coming in for counseling who's cheating on his wife, moved out, he's left her now, and he just he just isn't getting it. He's just he's he's just continually uh, he's continually taken by by his sin and and as just seems defeated by the battle. He just he can't overcome sin. And so what what Lucato does in this article is he basically gives two principles. And the first principle he gives is on page three point six. And this is the one that we're going to spend most of our time on and the one that we're going to look at the scriptures about. <clears throat> the principle on 3.6 is he still claims you. Though you're struggling against sin, though you're having these thoughts of, I can't go to God again, how could he possibly accept me? He's shown me grace and he saved me, and yet I constantly am letting him down time after time after time. You have to remember your position in Christ, that he still claims you. When, you. when you have those kinds of thoughts, this is very important, when you have those kinds of thoughts, and, and you, you are thinking, God can't accept me again, I'm too bad, I've got to get this fixed up. I mean, have you ever, have you ever not wanted to pray because you have been having this problem and so you don't want to go to God until you kind of get it fixed. Uh, let me tell you what that is. That's establishing your own righteousness. The Bible calls it legalism. That's a bad thing. And, you know, we often think, if you've heard of the concept of legalism, we often think of legalism, a person who's a legalist is a person who is trying to earn his salvation. But legalism isn't just about earning your salvation. This is the way one person put it. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. Let me say that again. Legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. In other words... A legalist is anyone who behaves as if they can earn God's approval and forgiveness through personal performance. We are all, by nature, legalists. We are all, by nature, individuals who are constantly trying to establish our own righteousness before God. I try to do it every day. And whenever I have those thoughts of, I, I, I need to get this I need to get my life a little bit fixed up before I can pray. That's saying, let me fix myself before I come to you, God, so that you'll accept me. Instead of instead of praying, God, I came I come to you through Christ, which is the only way I can come anytime. Because what I do when I just go to because sometimes I pray and I just I just go right to God and I pray. And you know why I feel so confident? I feel confident because I think I'm doing pretty good. That's completely wrong. The only way I ever have any entrance into the throne room of God through prayer is through Christ. 
whether I feel good about the righteousness that I'm displaying for him or not. I don't come to, I don't come to God and say, accept me because of this. I, I come to God and I say, accept me because of him. Now, we need to then, <clears throat> we need to then uh, remember when we're, when we're asking the question, this is something Lucata says, when we're asking the question, can God forgive me again? We have to ask, our, ask ourselves the question, who told you that you deserved forgiveness the first time? It was this, God is just being gracious to you the first time, and he's being gracious to you all the way through. So let's talk then about this position that we have in Christ. Um, let me... Man, time is flying tonight. This is not good. <clears throat> Our position that we have in Christ. You remember last week... We were in Romans 5. Maybe you remember last week we were in Romans 5. If you've got a Bible with you, if you don't, it's no problem. But if you've got a Bible with you, Romans 5, we'll just look at it briefly. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. These are things that, these are our, our positions in Christ that we need to, need to remember. Okay, so in Romans chapter 5, the very first verse says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Let me see if there's anything else. In verse 18, it says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. Okay. So the word justification was used there a few times. Does anybody want to give me a definition, your definition of justification? Again, I'm not looking for the the seminary (coughs) definition where I'm going to start, you know... Trying to, trying to pull your definition apart. I'm just looking. Does anybody in here think they've got a stab at justification? Anyone? Kim wants to. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I'll keep it real simple. It's yeah. we're justified by faith. It's, if you want me not to give a theological... Well, you can give a theo- I mean, you can give whatever definition you want. I'm just <laughs> trying to say, you don't have to be scared off. Nobody has to be scared off by the right... <laughs> I would just say we're justified by faith in Christ. Okay, but what does it mean to be justified? That his blood covered over our sin, that, you know, because of what he did, Mm -hmm. not because of what we did, but because of what he did. Okay, okay, she's hitting on it. Romans 5 is about, it has to do with our position in Christ. Part of our position is justification. Justification, justification. Justification is, is, a, is a legal term. Justification has to do with the fact that Christ's righteousness is credited to our account. What is the standard for you to have fellowship with God for eternity? Sinless perfection. Okay, sinless perfection. Absolute perfection is the standard. Can anyone meet the standard of sinless perfection? No. 
In fact, you come out already failed. Okay? Nobody can meet the standard of sinless perfection. And so, what we do when we come to Christ is we are trusting, putting our faith in Him, and when we do that, when you put your faith in Christ, Christ's righteousness is applied to your account. So God looks at you, not at the stuff that you're able to give Him, but because you are in Christ, He looks at the righteousness of Christ. And He accepts that. Christ doing for you what you could not do for yourself. The perfect life that you have already failed a million times at living, Christ lived in your place. That is justification. And so, we need to... This is Romans chapter 5 is all about freedom from the from penalty of sin. Boy, my writing is bad. And I don't have room now. Romans 5. Okay, Romans 5 justific- is all about justification. You need to remember, first of all, that you're posi- you, you have the position of Christ, of Christ's righteousness being applied to your account. You are not coming to God on the basis of your own righteousness. You are not trying to establish your own righteousness before God. You're not trying to tip the scales in your favor. No, a person who has come to Christ has said, I have no chance at doing that at all. It's completely impossible. I'm putting my faith in Christ. And so as a person in Christ, when these, sins, when, when these kinds of thoughts plague you, am I too sinful? You need to remember, first of all, your position in Christ from Romans chapter 5, that you have freedom from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Death. It's the verse that lots of people learn from Romans. The wages of sin is death. And there, there's no other option. That's it. You've earned it. It's, you've got it coming to you. But if you are found in Christ... You have freedom from the penalty of sin. That's the, one of the first things that you need to remind yourself of. Yourself of. You're, not establishing, you're not establishing your own righteousness before God. Your righteousness is found in Christ. And he has freed you from the wrath of God. Amazing thought. And one that we constantly, even if we've been believers for years, have to remind ourselves of. We constantly have to remind ourselves that we, we, aren't, we don't work for our salvation. We didn't work to get it in the first place, and we don't work to keep it. You don't work to keep it. Now, you know, I'm balancing the other side is we've talked for the past three weeks now. There is a change. But there's a difference between having a changed life and working to, to maintain God's favor. You can't work to maintain God's favor any more than the first time he gave it to you. So you need to remember, first of all, that Romans 5 is about your position in Christ. You are justified. You have freedom from the penalty of sin. God's wrath does not abide on you like it, like it could. All right, the second thing that you need to remember, now we're going to be talking about Romans 6. Okay, in Romans chapter 6, let me, let me read the first sentence to Romans chapter 6 as a response to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is telling, is telling us, 
hey, there's nothing you can do to earn, to earn God's favor. God loves you as much as he possibly can. Your righteousness in, is found in Christ. And so some, you know, some uh, wisecrack is going to be verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Since, since, we, since grace is free, am, will I just be magnifying God by just, just sinning as hard as I can, knowing that, he's going, <laughs> knowing that it's, it's all going to be okay because I'm in Christ? He says in verse 2, by no means. Okay? Wrong way to think. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Turn to page 3.3 if you're not already there. I've just read Romans 6, 1 to 14 which is on page 3.2. So on 3.3, we've got a little grid there. Throw out some of the we statements of, the pa- of this passage. If you had a chance to work on this, and even if you haven't had a chance to work on this, you can, excuse me, you can read the we statements of the passage. What does it say about, about us as believers? Pardon me? Okay. Okay, the, the first example is found in verse 2. We died to sin. What else does it say? Look at verse 3. Baptized in his death. Okay, we were buried with him through baptism in his death. What about verse 5? United with him. Okay. United with him in his death. Um, it says that we've had our old self crucified with him. Verse 8 says we died with Christ. Verse 11 says that we must consider ourselves dead to sin. So this is all, these are all the things um, that it's telling us that we're supposed to think. And it's talking about this relationship that we have with Christ. There's this, there's this union that we have with Christ as believers that signifies a transfer from the realm of one power to the realm of another. Stick with me. In Romans chapter 5, last week, remember we talked about Adam? And we talked about how through one man, Adam, sin enters the world, and death through sin, all these bad things come through Adam. 
And so chapter 5 characterizes all people as basically being under the reign of sin. All people are under the reign of sin. But for the person who has identified with Christ, that realm that he was in, that, that where he was, was subject to sin and under the reign of sin, is no, no longer has mastery over him. Now that he is found in Christ, he has died to sin. All of these things, it says that are, the, the old self has, has been crucified. Um, uh, it says that, that we've, been, we've died with Christ. Um, all of those things, we are now in the realm of life, where sin no longer has mastery over us. Christ has mastery over us. And we have this new life in him. And so, on the other side of the equation, it says, we've died to sin. Now that doesn't mean, as some people will say, well, some people will, will say, died to sin, and that means that I'm, um, I'm somehow immune to sin now. I, I'm somehow, uh, if, if I have this faith experience, I will be immune to the temptations of sin. And there are certain people that, are to claim, that claim that they've had that sort of experience where they, where they died to sin and they are now immune to it. But it's not talking necessarily about immunity to sin. It's talking about the influence of sin and the fact that sin is no longer a controlling influence in a person's life. You've died to sin. Sin is no longer the controlling influence in your life. It says, on the other side of the equation, it says, we've, okay, we've been united in his death. We'll be united in his resurrection. We've had our old self, the old man crucified. And then it says in verse 6 and 7, we've been freed from sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. So this is one of the next, this is, uh, one of the next things that we need to learn. Chapter 5, freedom from the penalty of sin. Chapter 6, freedom from the power of sin. What Paul and the scriptures are telling us is that if you have come to Christ and you have been united with Christ, where once before you were incapable of getting yourself out from under the rule of sin, now, in Christ, sin does not have to be your master. You are to think of yourself as no longer being a slave to sin. Now notice what he says over and over, he says several times to not let sin reign because it's requiring effort on your part. But there is a huge difference. I mean, some maybe you felt this way. I know I felt this way where I have thought I, the, the, this power of sin cannot be broken in my life. It's not possible. But you need to realize in Christ it is possible. You have the Holy Spirit residing in your heart, and slowly over time, okay, justification, you are declared righteous before God. Now the other part comes in, which is sanctification. Sanctification. In sanctification, you are being changed more and more over a period of time into the image of Christ by the Spirit of the Lord. That is sanctification. And so when these thoughts come, and these thoughts plague us, of, of, of I, I can't go to God, I'm too sinful, what are the two things we need to remember about our position in Christ? We need to remember, first of all, that we are free from the penalty of sin. We do not relate to God on the basis of what we have done. 
We relate to God on the basis of what Christ has done. And secondly, the position that we need to remember that is that we are no, no longer under the power of sin. Christ has broken the power of sin in your life. And over time, as you continue to mature, as you continue to walk with Him, you will see that, that, that power and that hold breaking. Look in Romans 8, then. So we have five minutes left. Because I think this is going to be encouraging to you. Look then in Romans 8. It says, Paul explains our new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Make a list of the things that are true of us as a result of our new relationship with the Holy Spirit. Tell me, uh, tell me the first one in verse 1. All right, there is no condemnation for them, for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Amen to that, again and again. Because when you feel condemned, you remember who you are in Christ, you remember chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are found in Christ. All right, what about number 2? Or verse 2, I'm sorry. Tell me something from verse 2. Okay, we're set free from the bondage of sin and death. What about verse 4? What's something from verse 4? This one is a little bit... You'll have to reword it a little bit. But... We don't live by sinful nature, but according to Okay. We don't have to live and under, the, under the rule of sin. We live under the rule of Christ, by a spirit who indwells us. And God sees us as having met the righteous requirements of the law. Because of Christ and His His giving that righteousness to us. Number five. What verse five? What do you see in verse five? We have a spiritual mindset. Okay, we have a spiritual mindset. Our our desires are aligned with the Spirit. We start having new desires. And yes, we have these old desires and these old pulls of the sin nature, but we have these new desires too that we continue that we can continue to nurture and grow. What does verse six say as a benefit? The mind controlled by the spirit has what? Life and peace. What about verse seven? Well, that, that one's... I, I, here's how I worded verse 7. <clears throat> In verse 7, verses 7 and 8, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And then you go to verse 9, and it says, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If you have the Spirit in you, you have the ability to please God. Where before... Everything, every bit of good and righteousness that you get, that you could give to God was never enough. Now, in Christ, by the power of the Spirit, you have the ability to please God. Um, what about verse 9? We belong to Christ. Okay, we belong to Christ. And because we belong to Christ, we're not controlled by the sin nature. 
Um, verse, uh, I'll, I'll just read the rest of them out because time is, is fleeting. But in verse 11, we have in the indwelling spirit of Christ. In verses 14 and 15, it talks about us being children of God. You hear, you hear those words used, children of God, and it sounds, and you're used to them. But when you start thinking about what it means to be a child of God, what a privilege that is. I mean, to, to, to have that said about you, and you know who you are and what you're like, and yet you're a child of God, and in verse six, verses 16 and 17, you're co-heirs with Christ, well, that's almost too incredible to believe. But it's true. If you've put your faith in Him. So those are you know, just the few, a few of the things, and if you did the lesson, you may have, have pulled out more. But just to put a cap then on the end of, on the end of things, you're, if you're a Christian and you're here, it's not going to be unusual as, as you grow in Christ that you are going to only become more acutely aware of your sinfulness. And that's going to be frustrating. But the frustration should lead you back to the gospel, not, I've got to try harder, and I've got to do better to make this work. Because it wasn't your trying harder and you're doing better that made it work in the first place. And it's not going to be your trying harder or doing better that's going to get you there in the end. It's going to be being found in Christ. And if you're in Him, your freedom and the penalty of sin, God's love is on you rather than His wrath. And you're free from the power of sin. It doesn't have to have mastery over it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we could uh, be together. I pray that you would help us just grasp the gospel and not let it go. I pray that you would help each person here to follow Jesus this week, that we would we would demonstrate that we're following Jesus by loving the things that you love, making decisions for things that that lead us and the trajectory that the Spirit sets for our life. I pray that you would give us full assurance that we stand justified before you, and that though we struggle with sin, its, its power has already been broken. It's, it, though it seems so strong, its clutches on us are, 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 losing, are, are losing their grip slowly but surely, until one day they are going to be completely gone. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.